You're listening to the Creative Revolution Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan J. Rhodes, and this is where we talk about making ideas happen in the 21st century. Stay tuned for today's episode. This episode of the show was originally streamed live on my Facebook page, but you can watch the video replay on my YouTube channel. How's it going, everybody? I am Ryan Rhodes with the Creative Revolution podcast, and today I am super excited to be interviewing and having a really great conversation with my friend Shashi Jane. Shashi is the co-founder of MakerForce.org, and he is also the founder of the Portland 3D Printing Lab. And we're gonna be talking all about supply chains and how to navigate crisis with creativity. And so Shashi, would you just share a little bit about who you are, um, how we met, and kind of what inspired you in the first place to start looking into 3D printing, and then we'll start diving into some of the other stuff. So first and foremost, thank you for being here. Uh, I'm very much appreciative of that, and thank all of you for watching. I'm really excited for today's show. So Shashi? Yeah, thanks, Ryan. Thanks for having me on the show. Uh, as always, it's great to work with you. Um, so a little bit about me. Um, I have uh, I wear many different hats. Um, some say I'm a generalist, so others a multi-potentialite, but uh, uh, I'm a technologist at heart. Uh, my day job is with Intel Corporation. I'm a strategic innovation manager there, but I've always operated in a few different communities, one of which was the startup community here in Portland, Oregon. And that's where I met uh, Ryan at one of the startup weekends that I was running some time ago. I think it must've been almost eight, nine years ago now. Um, I yeah, was running it was probably, for, I think it was in maybe, it would have been at least like 2014, 2015, I think. Cause yeah. I, yeah, I've been in Oregon since about then. So I think it's been about that. So, yeah, yeah. I, I remember that startup weekend, but I don't remember the exact date. Yeah. Um, but I was running Portland startup weekend for, um, about five years or so. And we built a really big team that gave this, uh, experience of, you know, entrepreneurship over the weekend uh, to a lot of different people. So since uh, we met there, you know, Ryan and I have been, uh, you know, kind of uh, still in touch, you know, mm -hmm. talking about all things entrepreneurial, all things uh, creative and kind of the intersection of those things, which is why we find ourselves here. Um, so I uh, learned about 3D printing a really long time ago through my day job at Intel, but about, I don't know, six, seven years ago, uh, I was between startups. I was out on my own uh, outside of uh, Intel, and I decided I wanted to participate more in the 3D printing industry. So I used some leftover proceeds from a startup I shut down to buy my first 3D printer, which was actually one of those resin units, not, not the melted plastic type that you see these days. Um, the cool thing about that one was uh, you could build, you know, super high resolution prints and uh, but the, at the expense that the material is like super toxic and sticky and, and hard to deal with. Right. Um, you know, I, when I bought that one, then I bought one of the melted plastic type that runs the 3D printer filament. And then pretty soon I had another one and another one and I built this and um, realized that I need to make these things pay in some way. So I started up a, a little uh, a startup to do that uh, called Matter Compilers. And like anything else, I like to build community around the things that I'm working on. So I built the Portland 3D Printing Lab. I started that in, uh, I think, January of 14. Mm -hmm. And uh, we just celebrated our sixth anniversary here. And we're now oh, wow, starting. Yeah, yeah. We started with you know, just meeting monthly and geeking out, but we meet at least once a month now. We're 1,800 people to probably a lot closer to 2,000 people now, given wow. uh, what's happening with COVID-19. And we share best practices. We bring in speakers from all over the U.S. and sometimes around the world. Hmm. Um, we also do group projects, and that's prepared us really well to do to respond to COVID. You know, we three we know how to 3D print in in mass. We know how to come together. We know how to, um, you know, really focus on getting the, the job done and building something cool. Hmm. That's that's super great, man. And I think that the the thing that's just so fascinating to me about 
the concept of 3D printing. You know, it's it's been around for a while, um, but this this crisis that we're all currently dealing with, and you know, we're recording this in uh, May of 2020, um, it really is giving the the concept of 3D printing a, an opportunity to shine and and show that this is something that if you leverage it right and you you really do the work of innovating, you can solve big problems in in new and powerful ways. And so, um, you know, on on this show, I, I really try to do my best to um, not make it a, for lack of a better term, a current events podcast. I'm trying to create something that's going to uh, create timeless conversation and principles that uh, will help people, regardless of when they hear or see this, uh, navigate crisis or difficult times through innovation, creativity, that kind of thing. Because um, the principles that you learn as a so as a creator, as an entrepreneur, um, those transcend the the struggles that we run into inevitably. Um, and so, you know, when it when it comes to how you guys have uh, kind of come together with uh with your community and and that kind of thing can you talk a little bit about um what it was that really kind of inspired you to say you know what uh, i've been doing this as a hobby and i, I know the potential here but i want to take this thing to the next level and show the world and show people what's possible um so can you talk a, a little bit about that thought process yeah um it's a really interesting question because uh, some of the, uh, you know, some of this is informed by my experience running a startup in 3D printing and some by the community as well. Um, you know, 3D printing is really known as a rapid prototyping technology, which means you can build something that looks like and, and fits like, but not necessarily functions like a, a quote unquote real thing. Hmm. Um, a real part being, you know, made out of metal, being injection molded, being built at scale, but that's not actually true anymore. You know, 3D printing is uh, is, is rapidly producing, uh, you know, finished goods, finished parts. Uh, if you look in in movies, chances are you've seen a if you've seen a Marvel movie, you've seen a 3D printed part in production uh, in a movie. You know, Iron Man's armor is all 3D printed. Uh, Boeing has been flying. I did not actually know that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. In fact, what they do is they, they start with a 3D model of Iron Man in the armor, and then they take a, a detailed body scan of the actor, uh, of Robert Downey Jr., and they subtract him out of the, the center hmm. to uh, make something that's perfectly custom fit for him. Oh, I'm nerding out right now. <laughs> yeah. yeah there's, a whole, there's a whole process like this, um, and it uses the same kind of tools that were used to develop video games. Except instead of going out to the screen, now you're going out to a 3D printer. Wow. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, chances are, if you've flown a Boeing aircraft or a modern um, Airbus aircraft, you you know experience a 3D printed part, although at a much higher grade, using you know metal 3D printing or Ultim or any of those types of materials. Um, and you know, even now, you're starting to see uh, automotive manufacturers uh, and medical manufacturers using 3D printing. Um, there is, I think, just not too long ago, there was a uh, blog post I was reading about uh, Tesla showing a fix for the Model 3, and it was very obviously a 3D printed part. Hmm. Um, you know, kind of being on the track of medical devices, I don't know if you've seen things like Invisalign or you know, the hearing aids, most yeah. of those things are 3D printed these days. There's, uh, and they're per perfectly custom fit to an individual. So there's absolutely uh, 3D printed parts for uh, finished goods. Well, so, so, so on that, on that note, um, you know, the, the reason that we're on here today and the, the title that I, I went with, with the, the title of this episode is unleashing a supply chain revolution. So um, can you, explain to to those who might not know like the difference between supply chain as we know it which is basically like the way that 
you get goods and services to you, like things that you purchase. Um, but, you know, correct me if I'm wrong or if I'm oversimplifying that. But um, a lot of the stuff, at least if you look close enough, most of the stuff that we have, um, you know, in our, our immediate vicinity is manufactured overseas or somewhere else. Um, and there is a, a complicated series of contracts and relationships and things involved in making sure that whenever you buy something on a, an online store or at the store, the fact that you can take that or get that to you is, is a complicated process. And what you're talking about here with 3D printing nowadays um, and the possibilities that are available, uh, it, it kind of levels the playing field in a way. So can, can you expand on that a little bit? Yeah, there's there's a whole lot to the term supply chain, but uh, your your explanation did a really great job of, of, of starting it out. Um, you can think of uh, supply chain as uh, the process of getting goods from the point of manufacture all the way to where they're consumed or needed. Uh, so, for example, um, with consumer goods, the things that that uh, you go shopping for at Target, let's say. There's a whole supply chain that brings them from uh, manufacturers in China and Vietnam and Cambodia over to, you know, overseas, literally the overseas in the in the shipping container, and then over to the store. So there's the the uh, there's a whole set of processes that can be roughly summed down to taking an order in and uh, from a customer, uh, from you know, a factory will or a store will say. I want to order this many um, DVDs or Blu-rays, uh, right? You know, maybe that's not as uh, relatable these days. How about this? Let's say they'll they'll go and place an order with um, a manufacturer for iPhone cases. So they'll go to the manufacturer and say, "I want four million iPhone cases for all my stores." And then here are the different types of iPhone cases I want. Some of them are going to be just plastic. Some of them are going to have some metal components, and so on and so forth. So uh, the manufacturer then has to go and produce those things. So they have to get the plastic, the metal, the the uh, you know the machines that they need to uh, to do these things. And usually that's with injection molding uh, for plastics. They have to produce those. They have to package them, and they have to make sure that they're um, they meet some certain quality standard. That's production. And then they have to fulfill the order, which is getting the product to the customer. So usually it's uh, put them on a, inside of a shipping container, letting them go uh, overseas, uh, like on a ship to uh, a port. That's a 30 day process. Then they have to go through customs. Then they have to put them on a truck and the truck will take them to a uh, to the to the target store where you can then pick them up and get them off the shelf. So largely, I mean, you're just thinking about all of the steps involved in going mm -hmm. from concept to reality in hand, like desired object or, you know, good in the hands of the, the customer. Yeah. Um, that just the, the logistics behind that are, are staggering. And especially whenever things like, oh, I don't know, a global pandemic happens, um, all of those connections can start breaking down, right? Right? Is that a fair assessment? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I mean, if you look at the the number of steps in there, uh, you think about the time scale too. So, the time scale, uh, I said thirty days just for shipping. The production itself may take uh, a few weeks. Then, you know, customs and distribution and whatnot may take another few weeks, and pretty soon you're up to three months. That works really well if you're doing something like. Um, if you're planning for stock, you know, for next Christmas, for example, you can you can set up the orders right now and and be uh, you know be happy that you can supply these things at mass scale and get them as cheaply as possible. Right. But what do you do in a pandemic? You know, a pandemic just pops up. It doesn't. We only had a few uh, a few months. Maybe actually, the U.S. has had <laughs> yeah, a few we, months. Maybe we a few we had a we, we had a few months, but there was. Uh some debate over and still continues to be some debate over seriousness of it but we won't talk about that right now <laughs> right right but in the end it gave us just a few weeks to react and what what do you do when your supply chain needs months and months to to deliver or it's like well, especially whenever you see down the line you're like you know this is going to be a problem whether we like it or not we have to pivot and we have to pivot fast 
That's right. And if you don't have anything to pivot to locally that's similar, then you have to rethink everything. Yeah. I mean, literally, all the way from what do you order and how do you use it to how do you produce it to how do you fulfill it and get it to the people in need. Right. And that's kind of what we are facing right now with uh, what we're doing with Maker Force and the Portland 3D printing line. So can you, can you talk a little bit about that? So I know that prior to you guys actually starting doing it, I remember we had a conversation and I was, I was thinking about you and you kind of kept popping in my head. And um, I remember I reached out and I was like, Hey, you know, is there any, any way we could, I don't know, do something with the, the 3d printing lab that you're running. And, and I remember you were kind of hesitant to, but then something changed. And then within the lab, I mean, can you talk a little bit about number one, like how many pieces of equipment you guys have printed and distributed? Do you, do you have those off the top of your head or even a ballpark? Yeah. Yeah. I have some of that. Um, so, uh, let me just explain at the, at a highest level what we're sure. doing. So Maker Force is actually a uh, organization. It's going to become a nonprofit that uh, is building a PPE using 3D printing and maker technologies like laser and sewing and all sorts of other things uh, to um, basically uh, fill the gap of, in the supply chain. So we haven't gotten full supply back for PPE yet into this country. And uh, what we're doing is uh, providing reusable parts instead of disposable parts, 3D printed, laser cut, whatever is needed using uh, more robust plastics. And we're using uh, distributed manufacturing to make that happen. So when, when you need something in New Jersey, I'm not shipping it necessarily from China, I'm shipping it from New York, or you know, maybe some parts come from California or Oregon. but um, that's in essence what we're doing. So we've been out it for about 48 days. And in that time, we've produced 14,264 PPE. Uh, we've wow. used, uh, we've invested about uh, 16,600 hours, which is almost two years of 3D print time. And uh, we have a network of more than 300 people now. And I think there are well over 500 3D printers that are doing this. Wow. And I mean, these are these are big numbers for me, at least. This is the biggest project I've done in 3D printing, but uh, there's, a, there's a lot that we learned along the way. But you also asked, how did we get started with this? Mm -hmm. um, in March 15th, I think it was when, uh, so I was actually in a uh, special assignment at Intel and I had been working from the Bay Area and I was supposed to be working through the Bay Area even through today, um, but we were sent back home on 13th of, of March. And around the 15th, I was approached by the Technology Association of Oregon saying, hey, can you talk to some of these hospitals about PPE and, you know, the availability of 3D printed PPE? You know, and before that, we had, we had heard of the shortage. We knew what was going on, but we were very hesitant to replace uh, a regulated product with something that was 3D printed, even though you can make a finished product. But in speaking to these, um, uh, you know, these hospitals, we learned how dire the situation was and that uh, the CDC was, uh, they have crisis mode operation where you can, you can make um, uh, PPE or other items that are not uh, as strictly regulated. So they can be used only during this crisis time. Uh, and uh, after that, then you, you, they have to revert. So in that time, yeah, I, I consulted with the people in my group and thought it kind of got to where their heads were at. Uh, and it wasn't it wasn't just well, what do we do? It was when are we going to start? It's not it's not what if we're going to do it. It's when we're going to start and how much we're going to do. It was just an overwhelmingly positive response. So on May twenty third, um, March twenty third, we started uh, doing a group print, uh, and we have. Um, six years of history of doing this type of thing. So uh, previously we had done a group print around a, you know, actually 3D printing half of a cow. This was for a steakhouse. It was a learning thing. It was, it was, it was an amazing project. We took like hideously complex prints and then put them all together and made actually like a model of half a cow, four feet uh, tall, eight feet long and so on and so forth. We called it crowd cow. 
It sounds ridiculous. But, well, it's, some... but it's but it's it sounds ridiculous on the surface. But if you kind of peel back the layers and think about it, it's like you're you're creating something that's incredibly complex out of nothing. Yeah, yeah, and it's exactly that. But it it taught us how to uh, break down a problem into manageable chunks that. Uh, an individual 3D printer can autonomously take on and not have to worry that they're duplicating effort, they're doing it wrong or anything like that. Don't and have to check in with any micromanagers, anything like that. Yeah, yeah. It was a distributed manufacturing uh, project, essentially. And we'd done four others since then. So we took that same process and we scaled it up a little bit more. So the first orders that we got were for 150 pieces of PPE. And back then it seemed like an enormous amount of work for, for people to do. But we chewed through that in four or five days and we delivered, you know, it was seven days from the time we got the order to the time that uh, we delivered it. So, then, so just, just for scale, so you guys understand this, again, this is seven days from the, the order compared to what could likely take months of time planning preparation manufacturing shipping contracting yeah. you know yeah drilled down to a week yeah and we were building our organization at the same time also so we started we, we didn't start with 300 we started with 20 25 people and we made all we made those three orders happen and once we heard and once uh, they saw that, they those uh, hospitals called their friends and say, hey, you need to order some of this too. And pretty soon we got our first order of a thousand pieces that went to Legacy. Again, once, when, once we uh, saw that um, we could do this successfully and others in our group saw that we could do it successfully, others started coming in and offering their 3D printers as manufacturing or as producers. And so we re quickly ramped up into about 150 people and we chewed through that thousand unit order in seven days. Again, it's an order of magnitude bigger than the, uh, the previous order. But that seven days also included individually packaging every single one of those uh, face shields that we were doing. Whereas the first one we were delivering, literally delivering them in garbage bags and they were all bulk packed and everything. Um, nowadays, uh, we build at least 3000 units per week um, that's we're trending on that right now uh and that's between face shields hand sewn masks and uh you know other things like uh, ear savers ear savers are really an interesting one because they're super simple to print uh they're flat and they basically are used to take the loops that go around your ears that cover you know that go to your uh, face mask and lift them away from the ears so you don't have friction burns or uh, yep. friction lesions uh, and, and to, to the and to that point, I, I just want to thank you publicly. Um, I actually I was uh, at the grocery store a couple weeks ago, and the um, the grocery store workers had just started being required to wear masks, and the ones they were get provided were not very good quality, and I could see just in you know interacting with them the the elastic kind of cutting into this you know the sides of their ears. Um, and so I was able to just say, Hey, you know, I, I know a guy who's, who is making things out of nothing that can solve that problem. And they were like, Oh my God, please. If you, if there's anything you can do, I hate these things. And so, um, Shashi was kind enough to send some over and I actually, um, I dropped them off and the, the whole staff was super excited. So that's a, a awesome. grocery store in Salem, Oregon, who is, you know, now using, these things and we were able to get them to them within like you said like a week so super cool yeah yeah no that's uh by the way awesome that you're able to do that thanks for uh for thinking of them yeah it also illustrates another point too that you know in the first few weeks we were dealing we were working with largely hospital groups that were trying to catch up and trying to protect their thousands of workers and we were working with other groups that were doing the same thing so together we were we were building all these face shields, all these masks, all these um, ear savers. Uh, but then, you know, about a week and a half, two weeks ago, things changed. You know, the hospitals. Uh, first of all, we have done a great job of flattening the curve here in Oregon. You know, the shelter in place has done its done its work, 
In other places, it hasn't necessarily. So over here, we saw less demand for face shields and PPE, our, our type of PPE, but the demand in New York and Louisiana and Texas has actually gone up. And it's also gone up in different ways. So it's not just the ERs that are asking for PPE, it's the nursing homes, assisted living facilities, uh, the Veterans Administration has been looking for help. And then also it's you know dental workers, ophthalmologists. And then now we're looking at retail because retail workers are all having to wear masks and they're all having to wear PPE if the economies are opening. And there's no retail PPE. There's only medical grade PPE. So they're now turning to makers and asking, well, what do we wear if we have to do, if we have to? And so this has been a collaborative process where we show them what we have, we can uh, pivot to something else that fits their need a little bit better. Like the comfort has to be there. The utility for you know working uh, for an entire day has to be there. Um, the, um, you know, things like glare, you, you know, dentists uh, can't use the shields necessarily as we've given it to them because the glare is too much from the lights that they use to Huh. Uh, well, it's, well, it's interesting, too, because it, it gives you the opportunity to interact essentially in real time with people who are prototyping these product or these products that you're creating. And you're able to take that feedback, immediately go back to your group, your team and your makers and say, hey, this is the problem that what we've currently given them is is creating at some level how do we how do we work through that and iterate quickly and then uh, basically send them a new version and have them test that and so you're you're testing the efficacy of this stuff in a very very short period of time um and really kind of mastering those those abilities to pivot into these new uh uncharted waters for, for lack yeah. of a better term um so yeah. like how how have you and your team kind of overcome some of those challenges like have you built uh, systems? Or are you using software solution? Like things like that, like the practicals of, you know, how to navigate some of that space. What does, what does that look like? That's a great question. Um, I'm seeing a comment here from Philip Sidbon in the, uh, in the chat here that uh, there's uh, on the medical side that you wouldn't, you wouldn't be necessarily have to mass produce, uh, you know, one size fits all. You can uh, mass produce one size, uh, you know, well, fit for one, essentially. Yeah, he had said, uh, Philip had said earlier, you know, not to mention scoliosis braces, um, because we were talking, it was when we were talking about the, the Iron Man suit, where it's like, you can, you can create something that is uniquely designed to fit that specific mm -hmm. person. So, I mean, you could even extrapolate this out further into things like shoes and clothing that, mm -hmm. you know, all of this stuff is tech typically one size fits all, but where where I could see this going in the near future, um, and even start going, kind of like as we speak at some level, where these things are are I feel like in the future we're going to see a lot more of that where the things we wear and the the, the products we use are much more tailored specifically to us and our unique situation. Is that yeah. kind of what you're saying? Yeah. I mean, that's the one extreme where um, this is kind of like a panacea where uh, 3D printing can go. And that's kind of like um, the holy grail of what we're looking at, uh, what we're trying to do with it, that every product is individualized to you. And it's not going to cost any more than the mass produced version. Um, and we're, we're getting, we're, we're on the path to that. But um, I'll give you an example of that right now. There is um, a dentist in my meetup group, uh, Dr. Alex Bo, who's making these um, essentially uh, a frame that takes one of those surgical masks and presses it up against your face uh, perfectly. So they have, you create a perfect seal. That's one of the problems with surgical masks versus N95s is that the N95 makes a perfect seal, whereas a surgical mask just sits on your face. And then when you exhale, for example, it bellows out and that's why it can't be used as an N95. So this frame presses it against your face so that it is, um, it's sealed, inhale or exhale. And uh, he does this with this really unique process. So in order for you to be perfectly fit and get a perfect seal, you have to have uh, a scan of your face right around this region. Um, and he uses his iPhone with a specific app to 
uh, to map the face, and then he builds a frame that fits around the individual, and he prints one. He prints as many as as that individual needs, uh, and it's it's slow going because today we don't have those types of tools in the mainstream. But right. he's he's doing it today, and he's delivered hundreds of these things wow. already. So what's uh, that's on so one? He, so you said he's using like some of the starting tools that he's using are the same things that most people are using to just look at cat memes and YouTube videos. Like he's using this as a basically learning how to use the stuff in his, in his possession as a creative tool, a problem solving tool, as opposed to just a consumption tool. That's right. That's right. You know, and he's a 3d printing guy, but he's first, first and foremost, a dentist. Hmm. So he's solving the problem that he sees and he has the tools in his hand to, uh, to affect some change. But what he's doing is kind of like at the, at the fringe. Imagine if it was as easy to do that as it was to upload a video to YouTube. Right. Do you think we would need a, a supply chain of finished masks that, um, that are one size fits all? No. I mean, maybe that would be get, the, get a raw material in and that could be molded or that can be uh, manipulated by a futuristic 3D printer and let individuals do the last, last bit of fitment. Right. right. Absolutely. I mean, I could, I could easily see, well, when I say easily, that's a subjective term, obviously, but the, the, the vision that I have of this is it's like, I feel like we're going to get to a point where those types of custom 3d printers will be as ubiquitous and, and common in the house, in the household as like a microwave or a refrigerator. And that there will be ways to recycle things so that we're not just you know, creating more plastic and more more waste, but that we can break things down to those raw materials and figure out a way to then, you know, reuse and, and replicate things that our specific use case scenarios uh, would demand. And Philip uh, said that's the power of innovations with instant turnaround. It's a positive feedback loop. So, yeah, yeah. You know, um, what we're talking about here is where it could go and where it could become common and uh we make we think about making things ourselves or making personalized things ourselves where it, uh what we've done here in the uh, today with with this um kind of rapid pace of innovation is we sat down with the people who would be receiving our ppe and have a conversation with them about what they're trying to accomplish and uh what their uh design constraints are essentially like uh, we originally found out that the PPE that we were providing to nurses wouldn't wouldn't work for dentists. They look they put these things on. They have these things called eye loops, which are magnifiers, and then on top of that, there's a little lamp. And when they put the face shields on that we provided them, the lamp would touch the visor, and they would it would make it soft, uh, or it would uh, it would glare inside of the magnifiers. So we sat down with them and worked back and forth uh, and we found out different ways they could wear the visor that would fit over their existing PPE. We also uh, uh, you know, got some other design constraints from them or an understanding the design constraints. We then modified the, uh, the frames, the 3D printable frames of the PPE. And it doesn't take that much more material or time to make the new frames. So we could, we could be really responsive to their needs. Um, but we also have to balance this with trust. So, you know, they, they have to see that what we're doing is not just, uh, you know, constantly streaming a bunch of different changes at them, that once we put this change in, into practice, we give it to uh, others to try, they give us a thumbs up and they have some assurance and then we can, uh, we can manufacture this in batches uh, to meet their needs. So there has to be um, innovation, but it's not gonna be like super wide open innovation. Every batch is different, not just yet. Um, in an ideal world, we would uh, we would set up a facility where we could take a, a scan of a person and we would build all the PPE that they need tailors fit to them. Uh, and it would be medical grade, but we're not there yet. Well, yeah, I mean, you're, you're not there yet. But the the fact that that you've gone from we'd like to do something, but we're not quite sure what or how yet. And there's a lot of logistics to now not all that long after that thought is is staggering and awesome and and i just i i'm super super humbled and honored to to know you guys in the midst of this and um 
you know, that's that's one of the reasons why I'm very grateful that you're you're on the show here is I wanted to at least do what I can to provide, you know, what little platform I can to to get the word out and share it out with people um, because it's it's important and it's um and the implications of of what you're doing are even I would say I would say more important because of the the groundwork that it can lay for a better future where we're not in crisis mode when these kind of things happen where it's like okay this is just how you handle it um and yeah. and so super cool yeah yeah uh i mean uh i i have to thank you also to uh you know when you first when we all of this was happening you said you'd come on and, and visit with us and asked what you could do and um I asked uh, Ryan to jump in and help us with the design for Maker Force, and you know, help us solidify um, our look and feel, and you know what what it is we were about. And early on, he uh, you know helped us through that process of understanding what what we were trying to do and who we were, and that's shaped up into what you see on the the Maker Force website right now. Mm -hmm. um, you know. It's a, it's a, it's a really important. There's, I always, I always feel as an entrepreneur, there's three parts that we really need to um, address in any new thing. That's the business development side, the engineering or development uh, or software development, or in this case, you know, this is more like industrial design or physical product development. And then there's the design side. So our products and our approach has to be dead simple to. Uh, you know to use right you know we we've got to you like a, a physician uh, one of the first things that we did initially was made a catalog of the things that we could provide a uh, physician and they could just go and choose i want this i want this many of this this many of that and so on and so forth uh and uh you know the design aspect is is so important in making things approachable and something like this which is so brand new and so right. unlike what we've done this is a little bit of certainty and a hugely uncertain situation. Right. You know? One of the, so, one of the yeah. things that, um, one of the kind of guiding principles for me in design, uh, of anything, whether it's like a website or, uh, communicating a new idea or, or whatever, it's like, don't make them think like, don't, especially during a crisis, like people, your prefrontal cortex, which is like right up here in your brain that, uh, that can very quickly shut down and you're, you're operating more out of your fight or flight response. And so if you can make things simple, especially for people who are stressed out and, and navigating very difficult situations, um, a lot of that is design. A lot of that is intention and in figuring out how to, uh, like you said, create a catalog. It's like, if you had just gone to them and say, well, what do you need? They'd say probably, well, we don't know. We need, we need protective equipment, but we're all trying to figure out what that means right now. So if you can yeah. at least provide a roadmap, um, even if it's, if you're able to say, Hey, roadmap in development, but this is what we've got so far, like that, that goes a long way to establish that trust. Um, it goes a long way to really set that up and, and develop a relationship over time that once the crisis is lifted, you can kind of come out of it, um, better and stronger. And so that that's actually a really good segue um, to to the next question that I had. Um, you know, how how do you guys stay focused on what's really important whenever it feels like everything is falling apart around you? You know, what what tips do you have for other artists, creators, entrepreneurs or or even people who don't necessarily identify themselves like that, but people who are basically just trying to figure out which way is up right now? Because I'm sure that you have at some level some kind of guiding life principles that help you navigate that space. So can you can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah. Um, this is a really um, important point because it's it's so easy to get burned out doing doing the work we're doing um, and so burned out being in crisis mode. Um, I think part of, I'm gonna answer this in two ways, uh, one as personally and another as you know, the leader of the group. Um, as leader of the group, we try to reduce the amount of cognitive burden that's needed for uh, being a member of our group. Um, I had mentioned before that we have uh, 
a build system and uh, it's called RAD, the Rapid Assistance Database. Um, and yeah, that we, we, we made that acronym on purpose just so that we can say RAD all the time. Um, but I, I support this uh, endeavor. <laughs> uh, the, the idea is that uh, anytime a maker prints something, uh, it is verified going to someone. It's for someone. It's not going to just be a stockpile and sitting in a corner. Um, and that uh, when they pick something up, they don't have to think about what files, what settings, uh, who, oh, you know, what materials, any of that stuff. It's all figured out for them. Uh, they just have to uh, pick up and run with it and then drop off the parts. So in that sense, uh, that those three steps I said before, intake, production, fulfillment, are what we've built. Um, and we made, uh, our guiding principle is, it's got to be, we've got to serve the supply chain. We've got to make us a, make a uh, this pop-up supply chain, essentially the, what we're calling it. Uh, we got to make it work and we've got to make it last. So uh, anything that we do is towards that goal. So um, on the intake side, we make a catalog. We have a website where anyone can order PPE. We can, it's dead simple for any other group who's making PPE that needs our help to, to join us. Um, on the production side, if you're 3D printing, there's one place to go. You, you can claim jobs, you can print them, you can drop them off. You don't have to worry about anything else. Same thing for sewing, same thing for laser cutting. Um, although laser cutting, there's, that's a little, little bit more to it than that. So I'll, I'll just put that, put that to the side here. On the fulfillment side, we have drop points all over Portland and we're starting some in Seattle as well. And from there, uh, all a person has to do is, um, you know, leave their parts in these drop bins and then they get repackaged, quality assurance tested, and then repackaged into uh, orders that get shipped or picked up by the hospitals in need. We have a whole team of volunteers who don't print, who don't have, um, the technical skills, but do have the skills to um, for operations. And it's super important that we identify everyone's superpower and, and apply it the most effectively. Uh, and we also create an environment where people can focus on the problem at hand and use their their skill or their superpower to um, to affect change. Like for example, we were the way we were counting um, PPE when we switched to an inventory system was broken. We were essentially putting it all on one person, bless his heart, he did an amazing job at it. But we uh, we rapidly found out that it was just not going to be sustainable if we wanted to be responsive. Again, we were trying to go from seven days down to four days, down to two days and so on and so forth, and it was just not happening. So we, everything that we do is to make our volunteers' lives easier. We may not have the highest numbers. There's a maker that I spoke to just yesterday. He built 5,000 face shields on his own, but he was so burned out. He was so burned out you know, that, that he didn't want to do anymore. So, on so average, what you're, with your, your, three, um, your three points before that you mentioned, um, the kind of tenets that you're going for, I would, I would think about even saying to that point, adding sustainability to that, because if, if you're if you print five thousand and then you burn out, like that sucks because then you have to deal with the the recovery process of dealing with the burnout and you're not helping anybody. Yeah, yeah. I mean that's a that's that's a very good point. And what we want is for our makers to be able to sustain because this is going to come in waves. You know, in when the first wave is, I think first wave is up. The second wave will come when we open up economies and we start seeing the the gaps in the system and hopefully there won't be a third wave you know put it that way um but on average our makers have done you know i don't think we have the actual number calculated out but it's around 150 pieces each and that's not enough to burn someone out but it's also a lot more capacity you know if we know a person can do 5,000 pieces individually at burnout and we have 500 people or 500 printers then we know that there's more capability in there we're just not burning it up um, so uh, I told you I'd answer that question two ways. Um, so how do you, how do I stay focused on what's important? Personally, you know, I will never forget what it was like to have uh, the first time I talked to a nurse and have her 
Patrick in tears, you know, explaining what's going on and how exposed they felt. Um, that's that's what keeps me going. That's that's one. I mean, I, I every time I think, hey, this is too hard, this is too much uh, going on. I think of that person, and I'm like, well, we've if if we helped her, then we can help another and another and another until that the, they feel all protected. You know, I mean, if it's not gonna, it's not just gonna be us. It's gonna be all of these makers all around the world who are doing this. Um, and if we work hard enough together, then we can fill that gap. There is a, a, um, a diary published from a ER physician, I believe, in New York City just recently. And I put that up on uh, my Facebook page. But every time I think this is getting too hard, I read that thing again. It, it really just summer, it says it so eloquently that here's a person who's seen a lot of death and a lot of in a very short time, and that the the things that he the armor that he is <laughs> relying on is just not available and the day before the he wrote this particular entry he had given his uh last face shield away and he was he was facing going into a covid ward uh without without even face protection i mean the the very next entry was about new york about his favorite people being makers and that uh, you know, where he was, where he had his empty supply room, they had set up their 3D printers and they were pulling face masks or face shields off of uh, 3D print beds uh, by the hundreds and that uh, he felt so protected in this fight. And whenever I need to, a little bit of motivation, I'll, I read that entry and it, it just perks me back up. I mean, it, it really reminds me of why, why, and what what for um i'll see if i can find that and post it in the yeah that, that'd be that great um we can um i'll make sure to put it in the show notes and in the comments and stuff that's great i mean that that, that wrecks me man <laughs> yeah it's um it's important um if any of you guys are watching um, and have any questions while we're here, I mean, it's it's crazy. We've already been on for like almost an hour um, and I, I want to be respectful of your time. So um, if anybody has questions who is watching, go ahead and drop them in the, the comments of the video and I will um, we'll do our best to get to them. Um, and honestly, I think, you know, other than the ones that I've already asked, uh, the only other question that I I have written down here was, um, you know, what, what was the biggest lesson that you feel that you've learned so far, um, either during this, the, the challenging times that we're, we're all dealing with now, um, or other challenging times that have kind of helped you, you know, things that you've learned that have helped you right now. Um, and how has that impacted you and your outlook on life? So mm. that's just a small question. So 120 <laughs> characters or less, if you can. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, some of it goes back to um, you know the why of what we why we started all of this. Um, you know, back in the in 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 March, it feels like so long ago. It's really not that far back. I had a discussion with uh, a good friend of mine in Vancouver over whether we should do this, and he brought up some really amazing points. Um, very salient points about the the readiness of 3D printing as a finished goods technology, and uh, whether we should we should be um, taking on such a risk or such a challenge. And you know, I, I stewed on this for a while, um, but you know, I, I had mentioned I spoke to the, the hospital directors, and then you know being in and this may be familiar to some but when you're shelter in place sometimes there's a feeling of helplessness it's like what am i just uh, is this normal what can i do to make a change that may uh get us back to normal or what can i do just to not feel so damn helpless you know in all of this um that's where i was coming from that one um I knew that I had, I had to be here. 
it's very easy for me to protect my kids that way and my wife and, and my family and say, hey, shelter in place. Let's not even expose ourselves. But um, there's these other people who are uh, out there at the front lines who are exposing themselves to, to horrendous risk. And I have a lot of physicians in my family, but I also have people who are retail workers and who are dentists and ophthalmologists and I was like, they're taking a horrendous risk just so that I can sh I can be sheltered. And I have this hobby here that can help them. It was, I'll tell you, man, it was the easiest damn decision in the world for me to say, I can go, I'm going to protect you with my hobby, whatever it takes. And um, I've been thinking of that uh, quote that we often talk about is, uh, is a quote by Gandhi actually, to be the change that you want to see in the world. Well, that's, yeah. That's the biggest lesson I took from this is uh, if you have a solution, be the solution. Uh, step up and make it happen. And it wasn't just me who was 3D printing. In fact, I've done, I'm probably the lowest on the leaderboard that we have here. Uh, but uh, one of my superpowers is kind of catalyzing other people to action and helping them, helping organize them into, um, into groups that can be more effective. And that's how I chose to spend my time here. And um, certainly being the change has uh, really opened my eyes to something that I didn't think was possible in me, which is I am normally the idea guy. I am much less likely to be the operations guy, but I have this operational know-how from the stuff that I've done at Intel. And uh, you know, it's certainly changed you know, uh, you know, the scope of what I think I'm capable of, but also um, it's, it's changed my outlook in that um, I'm a little, I'm, I'm really, I'm really astounded by how people came and rose to this challenge. And then when we got to the point where it was getting hard, they didn't stop, they didn't say, hey, maybe we should stop. They said, hey, how can we do better? How can we do more? What is it that it's going to take? Um, and for me, my, I mean, the selflessness of the people I'm seeing in this group is just off the charts. And if we can be this amazing during this time, imagine how if we were to take just a little fraction of that and translate that into our daily life, what the new normal would look like. I mean, that, yeah. that to me, I don't want to return to the old normal. I want to return no. to a new normal that in, is infused with this. Yeah. No. And and I think that 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 really sums up um so much of it. It's like we've all had enough time uh to kind of sit with our thoughts and we will likely have more time to do that um and and kind of ask ourselves those hard questions of you know, what what do I want my quote unquote new normal to be? Um you know, I don't, I, I think the old normal is, is in a lot of ways what got us where we're at. Um, and the, the, uh, just the, the greed and the, the, um, the control that, that a handful of people seem to have. I, I see that fraying at, at scale. Um, I, I see people all over the world who are, asking questions of themselves like what they want their lives to look like going forward and that is the 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 seed of positive powerful change it's the seed of of you know what we could call a type of revolution and um you know i don't see it turning into this this crazy bloody war i don't think that anyone actually wants that except for a handful of sociopaths and i think that there's a very small number of people percentage wise on this planet who's like that i think the majority of people who are navigating this crisis are in that boat with you and and with me where we're like how do we do better because i don't want to keep doing what we've been doing i want to figure out how can we put people into positions and situations where like you've said they they can rise to the occasion lean into what they're good at and what what makes them come alive and do so in a way that serves a humanitarian bottom line not just a profit motive um 
and so that's that's why honestly like i i haven't done this podcast this is the the second one i've done this year um i basically put it on hold for almost nine or nine or ten months um because i just it, i wasn't happy with some of the direction it was going but i i was in a very similar situation with that that you mentioned where i was like how can i help in the midst of this and it's like i i don't know if we've talked about it too much but i actually started my first business um at the height of the the last recession and so i started exploring entrepreneurship and and personal and professional development um you know at that time and and i'm i've realized as i've watched the way people interact with each other now on social media and the, just the animosity and i'm like oh wow like there's there's a lot of opportunity to create connection and empathy uh, and to inspire people to be more creative and innovative, even in the midst of all this crazy stuff that's going on. So that's that's why I'm doing this now. Um, and I'm, I'm doubling down on it, man. I, I really I really am. I'm very much looking forward to it. Um, and so um, more, more than anything, I, I just I, I know I've said it already. I'm very, very grateful for what you're doing um, and the, the insights that you've shared with me, even privately off the air at different times um, and the inspiration that you've been to me to, to keep going. Um, for those of you who don't know, I actually just started up a Patreon account. Um, I actually started about a year ago and Shashi was my first patron on there. Um, so he's been uh, supporting my, my artistic endeavors and my creativity endeavors for almost a year now that way. Um, but I've not done a whole lot with it. Um, and I've, uh, kind of vacillated back and forth on whether or not I, I'm going to. But in the midst of all of this, I know there's people out there who want us to continue having these kinds of conversations, um, you know, beyond just the the memes and the tweets and, and that kind of stuff. Um, and so, you know, again, thank you for, for supporting me in that because I, I wouldn't be doing this if, if it wasn't for that at some level. So. Uh, no, it's uh, it's amazing that you're that you're introspecting like this, and I really love your work, Ryan. Um, I'm just uh, thrilled to see uh, you being the change that you want to see. Also, um, <laughs> have you? And thank you for having me here too. Yeah, absolutely, man. Anytime, um, and I, I'm sure that we'll we'll do this again here in the uh, sometime in the future. Um, hopefully, on you know, we'll have some more cool stories about. Um, things that maker force and you are doing um so did, did you have anything else that you wanted to share while while we're here and then i can start kind of winding things down a bit so um no i've, I've spoken a little bit about the portland 3d printing lab uh it's a meetup that's been around for six years we have a facebook group uh just search for us on portland 3d printing as portland 3d printing lab we're also on meetup.com as well uh, when things uh, get back to the new normal, we are going to be meeting up again, and uh, we're a very open group, very welcoming. Uh, love to see you there. And if you uh, have a 3D printer, or if you just want to help, uh, or if you need PPE, come visit us at makerforce.org. Uh, and Ryan put the uh, link in the in the chat here. Uh, if you know, we'd be happy to work with you uh, if if you'd like to help. Um, we're primarily in the Pacific Northwest, but we will take any help that we can get. Uh, and if you need PPE, we want to hear from you and uh, make sure that you're being served. So uh, again, makerforce.org and the Portland 3D Printing Lab. Awesome. And um, as you guys can see, if you're watching this on, on video, I'm currently streaming it live on Facebook, uh, and I will also have a replay on YouTube. Um, but if you look underneath Shashi's video, you can see his website. It's just shashijane.co. Um, we haven't talked about it on this particular show, but Shashi is an excellent writer, and I am going to continue poking at him to uh, publish a book. And if you need help with that, let me know. Um, so um, definitely check out his work there. He's, he's um, probably one of the most interesting. He, he is absolutely one of the most interesting people that I know. Um, so, I mean, can, can you just real quick, can you talk about um, some of the 3D printing stuff that you've done with NASA or do you have like NDAs that you can't talk about it? Uh, so I have uh, less than I've done in 3D printing. With or, NASA. Okay. Yeah, we've uh, over the last three years uh, through my day job at Intel, I've been sponsor of the or partner of the NASA Frontier Development Lab, which applies AI to space exploration problems. So there's uh, so many different 
you know what's amazing about this time we live in is that uh, there's this industry, there's a new space race going on in this new space industry, which is being fueled by all of these commercial space companies. Uh, you know, SpaceX and Blue Origin are big leaders in that. Uh, but now that they've solved the problem of launch capacity, now we're returning to the moon and we're going to Mars and we're doing all of this new things in space. And all of this is being powered by, um, by compute. And this, uh, the purpose of the Frontier Development Lab is to apply modern AI technologies, machine learning and deep learning towards these, uh, towards these uh, problems. One of the things that we did was help build, um, uh, help identify uh, spots on the moon that could be you know possibly used uh, for mining you know all of the machine learning algorithms that we built help them build a, a prospecting grade map of the moon uh, others have um, algorithms have helped us identify um, you know what solar activity is going to impact our power systems or communication systems uh, and still another uh, has helped us um, we, re we had this realization last year that we could reduce the time for flood detection from orbit from 40 minutes down to a minute. And that's crazy. I mean, yeah. it, again, you know, thinking about the, the exponential impact of, hey, you have, so, so correct me if I'm wrong, but you're saying people would be able to know 40 minutes in advance of a flood as opposed to a minute. Or that's right. <laughs> it's like so instead of getting a message on your phone hey you have a minute to to get the hell out of your house or it's gonna be flooded down to you have 40 minutes grab what you need and get to safety like that's a big deal yeah yeah it's, it's incredible and we're not that far off so we're able to uh, do some really interesting work um, that actually happens, it's coming up this summer, uh, Frontier Development Lab, if you, uh, it's frontierdevelopmentlab.org. Uh, if you're uh, an AI researcher or a space researcher, PhD or postdoc, you can apply to that. And uh, it's probably eight weeks of the most exhilarating work you'll ever do in AI. Um, I've been involved, you know, not as one of the researchers, but supporting the researchers. And the kind of uh, the things that I've been talking about here in, in this podcast, we, we apply it to there as well. You know, if there's a need that they have, an emergent need for something that like a data set that they are, didn't have access to, we just do whatever it takes to get it. They need a, uh, there was one time when they didn't have enough compute horsepower. Uh, and so I like literally airdropped in a server to them, flew, took a server, it flew it down there dropped it to them in a parking lot and then got on another plane back home. Uh, but yeah, this uh, imagine of, you know, make, uh, creating a, a spot where all of the barriers are gone and you can just do your best work. And that's what Frontier Development Lab is. Hmm. That's, I mean, you sold me and I, I don't have all those stipulations that, that I could, or boxes I could check, but now I'm fascinated. So I did put a link in the, in the comments here on the Facebook video. So that's awesome. Um, okay guys. Well, that's, um, that's basically what all we've got for, for today's episode. Shashi, uh, again, you know, I, I can't thank you enough. I'm super, super honored to know you and I'm very excited to see where all this goes. Um, so make sure to check out Shashi's website, guys. It's www.shashijane.co. Uh, also, if you're interested in helping out with the PPE during the coronavirus crisis, or if you need some, go to makerforce.org. And correct me if I'm wrong, people can donate there also? Um, the GoFundMe is on a separate uh, side. I'll send that to you. But I, think, but I think it is on, there's a link on the MakerForce page to go to it. I think well, it's a little bit embarrassing. I don't know for sure, but uh, know, the web team probably has it there. I think, yeah, I'm almost positive that they do. Um, um, yes, there's a big donate link right there. So, awesome. yep. Um, so yeah, if you want to support the work, um, you can donate there also. And then um, also look up uh, Shashi's 3D printing lab in Portland if you are interested in that. So um, for my calls to action here, just um, this is completely unrelated to the coronavirus stuff. Um, Shashi, have I, I've sent you a copy of my, my latest book, correct? Oh, I don't think so. No? Okay, it's not actually, there's, this is green, but obviously I'm, I'm sitting in a green screen right now if you're watching the video, so this is normally green. Um, 
But this is um, my latest book. It's called The Science of Getting Rich, How to Manifest and Monetize Your Ideas. Uh, it's originally by a guy named Wallace Waddles, which is hilarious and I love saying it every time. Um, but it's all about how to make your ideas happen and turn them into um, something that you can generate an income from. Um, and so it was originally written in the 1900s, early 1900s, and it sounds like it. So I have gone through and uh, because it's in the public domain, I have translated it. I added my own cover um, and I added my own commentary as well as a whole bunch of resources in the back for business owners, uh, recommended reading, um, all kinds of cool stuff for creators and sections for notes. So if you are watching this and you have watched this the whole way through um, and or are hearing me say this right now, if you drop a comment in the video, um, I am happy to send you a copy for free because I am very, very grateful for those of you who stick around and check all this stuff out. So if you are watching, uh, just go ahead and drop in a, a comment and I will reach out to you to get your mailing address. Uh, Shashi, I will um, get your mailing address from you and, and send one over to you as a thank you for being on as well. Mason. So, um, and if you are watching this and you're interested in buying a copy either for yourself or for friends or um, getting it on Kindle, you can also go to scienceofgettingrich.info. Um, the, the name is kind of clickbaity, I will acknowledge that, um, but it's it's fascinating the the exploration of the definition of rich that he gets into in that. Um, and there's a lot of principles in this book that have very much helped me over the years navigating crisis, navigating financial difficulties. Um, and so uh, in addition to that, if you are looking for some custom designed clothing and swag and uh, products you can't get anywhere else, go to rdshop.biz. And if you use the coupon code CRP during checkout, uh, you will get a 10% off your entire order. That's another project that I am going to be, um, especially as things calm down a, a bit here, um, we're going to be doubling down on our online store because all of it is print on demand and it's all original work. So um, that's basically it, guys. So thanks again to Shashi for uh, everything that you're doing, man. I am I'm super thrilled about all of it. And thank you for being on here. Yeah, thanks again, man, so, for having me. Uh, awesome all right guys um so again my name is ryan rhodes with the creative revolution podcast if you are interested in supporting this podcast and supporting the creative work that i'm doing if you go to patreon.com slash ryan j rhodes uh, there's a number of ways that you can support there even a dollar a month is enough of an encouragement for me to see like wow okay there's like legitimately people out there who who give a damn about what i'm saying and what i'm doing here so uh super cool um, and we got John Larivier and Philip Sitbon both have said that they're interested in getting a copy. So that's cool. Thank you guys for being here. Um, all right, guys, that's about it. Um, Shashi, uh, you can hang on and we'll, we'll touch base after we go off the air here. But thanks so much for everybody who are watching and stay safe, stay healthy, keep creating and inspiring on purpose. I'm Ryan Rhodes with the Creative Revolution podcast. That's all for today. Cheers. Thanks for listening. My team and I love connecting with people just like you who are bringing their own ideas to life and building a better world. If you want some help taking your business or organization to the next level, hit us up today at reformdesigns.biz for a free consultation. I'll talk to you soon.